Today's podcast sponsor is Hubert Engineered Woods. And I want to talk to you about zip sheathing and why we use zip sheathing. I know you've heard me talk about it on the podcast before, but I thought let's just lay it out in the simplest of forms. Number one, when I install it properly, I tape the seams, I liquid flash the seams, I manage for water with my windows, I do, I, I use their products, I don't have to worry about water. There are times when we install drywall inside of a house and we don't have cladding on the outside because they know zip system is going to be waterproof. So that's number one. Number two, I can manage for air. So using zip system sheathing on the walls, my like last five houses we built were all below passive house uh, levels of air leakage. They were all below that 0.6 ACH 50. And we're not putting that much effort into air sealing. We're just making sure that we tape well, which we manage for water, we manage for air. And the last five houses that I built all had zip R because that continuous insulation that comes adhered to the back of my zip sheathing that I'm already putting up and installing now I have continuous R value that I get the whole R6 or the R9 or R12, whatever it is, I don't see building any other way. It works for us. It can work for you. Make sure you go to huberwood.com and check them out. And Huber, thanks for sponsoring the podcast. Hello, Unbuilded Podcast. Steve Bazek live from the Unbuilded Studios. Got my good friend, Jake Bruton. Hello, hello. And my great friend, Peter Yost here joining me. And yes, we're back and we are going to be talking about prioritizing decisions for high performance homes. Now, can I just say, first of all, I absolutely totally despise the label of high performance. I think you guys know that, but I do. Um, I just hate labels in general. I think we should strive to build the best possible house with the budget and the parameters that we have. So, I would prefer to call it prioritizing decisions, but... How about a prioritized home? Our listener, and I I don't have the name with me, but this was one of the, uh, what you call it, suggestions off of Instagram. And uh, so, but what were you saying? I'm sorry. No, that's okay. Go ahead. So prioritizing decisions and how how do we get there? So you don't like to put that in the context of high performance because that's not your only job as an architect? Well, let me ask you something. Is... Before we get to that, and this is part of the prioritizing decision-making process, right? And and how we prioritize and understand things. Is airtightness a building characteristic or it is a high-performance building characteristic? It would be a building characteristic. Exactly. So why do we only associate with airtightness with high-performance homes? Because we would associate well-sealed buildings with high-performance Right. So we would we would say that so extreme airtight. There you go. Those are the words that I'm a high performance for. home, but an airtight home could just be a building term. Sure. Right. So that's why. But that's why I despise it is because the minute we draw that line, we're giving the slackers of the building industry some leniency and saying, "Oh, well, that's high performance. I don't build high performance oh, homes." See. Right. Instead of just saying, look, at, we should build a house with relatively good air tightness. Sure. And this, this kind of see if this is the same type of thing. When we were uh, trying to decide the name of the website we were building at Taunton Press called Green Building Advisor, Dan Morrison said, you know, what we ought to do is 
buy the URL buildingadvisor.com as well, because, you know, eventually it should be not green. It shouldn't be high performance. It should just be building. Exactly. So Exactly. Okay. We should talk about prioritizing decisions for a house, mm-hmm. right? I mean, when, when I have clients come to me, clients come to me, they, most of them have a site. Some of them are actually in looking for a site and that's part of the process, but most of them have a site. Most of them have some type of goalpost of um, budget, or at least a number that scares them that we have <laughs> to stay below, right? So within that, now as the architect, I have to start understanding what kind of process of decision-making do we get to get them the best possible home for their uh, their budget and, and their set of parameters? So is the question prioritizing decisions with the client or prioritizing decisions as the building professional? Let me just give you an example. I'm sure you don't go to your clients and say, hey, you have to tell me what your priorities are. Do you want a watertight home? Right. No, uh, I think there's yeah. a I think there's a level of trust that in them hiring me as the professional um, that they're trusting that a lot of these decisions are internalized by myself and that I just give them the answer. Well, and there might be some of your decisions that you and I talk about, but the clients don't talk about. Right, and and there's a lot of interaction with the builder, but the key part of you here is that. You know, you also consult on new construction. So you're a part of the decision making process by architects that, for whatever reason, hire you because they don't feel confident in prioritizing those decisions. Drawing anything not in crayon. You know, it's this is an interesting topic to me because I would say my last three design and spec reviews included the client. I think that's a whole new animal that we've never had before. Clients who are participating in sort of performance decisions and it boggles the mind because it gets incredibly technical, but then the client still wants to be part of that conversation that I don't think 10 years ago, and I attribute a lot of this to the internet that they would have, they would have been, they would have wanted to be part of that process. There's more information out there. There's certainly more information available. I mean, you can go on Instagram, and yeah. if you pick and follow the right people as a as a homeowner building a house in the next six months, you're going to get more knowledge in the next three or four months following the right people than some builders have after than ten. Years. Some builders have after ten or twenty years of building. It's it it well, it's absolutely true that they. I think lay people are tapping into some pretty deep right. background stuff on. A whole bunch of topics, including building. I also feel that in that sense, though, we're kind of lucky in how our client base can get motivated and educate themselves. Oh, I yeah. feel like there's nobody <laughs> going to the barber going, hey, I was watching this video last night on Instagram about how to cut hair. And I was thinking maybe you could try this technique. Like there's maybe there is. Yeah. But I feel like my industry is very attuned to hmm. sharing knowledge in a way that clients can get excited well they can get excited but they can also become the problem yep they can be I have clients that come to me with like their floor plan <laughs> and it's like how do i you know in my mind it's scrolling like how am i going to put a roof on this but more importantly how do i tell them this is just one of the dumbest this floor sucks. plans i've seen and this sucks <laughs> you can tell but, them now and just yeah. replay this part of the podcast uh, but anyways I, let's get back to it because i think you know, one of the things that, that it, this is somewhat of a global decision, 
But one of, one of the things that has always bothered me is we always talk about green building, high performance, all this crap. And the minute we choose to build something, we have to acknowledge that we're kind of ruining the state of that property and we've become unsustainable, right? Like we can say we're building a sustainable building. I don't care if you're building the – what's the one above uh, – Passive house, the um, living building challenge. Mm -hmm. Like even if you do that, you're still going into a pasture somewhere, clear cutting some trees or it's a virgin pasture. You're disturbing in some way. We're bringing materials from all over the country there. Or the world. Or the world. We're using a whole bunch of energy to construct this building for somebody to live in to then further use energy. So it's always a worse condition than the day we showed up. I, 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 and there were a bunch of people that argue that, no, you can be net positive. And I, I struggle with this myself. Like, how am I going to be net positive on this site that was doing just fine before I showed up? Yeah, before, like, the chipmunks and eagles and everybody were frolicking. There was a good circle Wait, are you of just life. naming bands? Or are you talking about wildlife? I, I think he's talking about the movie Bambi, but I'm not quite sure. I hate both of you guys <laughs> right now. But anyways, I just wanted to put that off because yeah. we need to move on. But but the idea of people saying, oh, well, you got to be carbon free. you got to be sustainable and all this stuff. Well, the minute we make the decision that we're going to put a house on this piece of property, I think we've kind of acknowledged that we're going to do our best. We're having an but impact. we're not as good as not doing anything, mm -hmm. right? Abstinence is certainly a better solution, but we're not going there. Um, so then that leads us to, well, what are the best decisions that we can make there? And in doing that, then as a professional of doing this 30 years, you also have to acknowledge that you're probably not going to solve every problem and that something has to be the worst solution of those choices because the other nine of those 10 decisions were better solutions and this becomes the uh, whatever effect or side effect of those other good decisions, right? Something has to be the worst part of the building or the worst part of the decision. So even, even citing before I get to what type of house or wall assembly or these decisions, the first thing that I do is walk out to a job site and say, you know, what, what does this site have to offer? Like, are there views that, you know, putting the house here is going to make the family feel better about themselves and, and why are we building it here? It's weird Can to think of Steve thinking about people's self-esteem. <laughs> wow. Continue. Sorry. You know, it, how does the sun affect it, right? I mean, we, we, we've done, I've done passive homes that over 50% of the energy is sun coming through the windows for that house. So that plays a major role. But, but if, that the house is situated on a beautiful lake and the facade that faces the lake is the north facade, I'm not going to not put a bunch of windows there, right? Mm -hmm. I'm going to put a bunch of windows there and I'm going to say, okay, we had to bite the bullet on that because we have to take in the view. But that just means that part of my decisions now are picking up the slack on the windows and you compensating. Know, make, compensating and making sure that whatever views I'm capturing, I'm capturing it with kind of just the right amount of window. So I see two questions here. One is prioritizing decisions with your client. And then once you've done the best job of that, then there's the issue of prioritizing design for the performance attributes of the building that we know that the client doesn't know exactly how to ask for, but they want. Yeah, but they're they not want separate. 
You made no. it sound like they might be. But oh, you could also or include one comes first. They're well, they coincide. Well taken. You yeah. can include even a third question. What's the best questions or answers for the environment? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So, because that's what we're talking about, especially when we just talked about pulling up to a job site or to a a field and acknowledging that we're going to make that field worse than it is initially. So, so, but all of those get wrapped up into that decision making process, and so. You know, how do we get there? A lot of people want to start out with the whole, you know, well, we need to make a real energy efficient house, like passive house or something like that. And, you know, what I've come to learn and what I've come to kind of use as my process is that while energy efficiency is important, we should really concentrate on things like durability, health and comfort. And durability, first and foremost, because because we're going to this virgin property and putting a building on it, then morally for the environment and just the fact that we're wrecking this site, we have to put something there that's worthy of that replacement. Yeah, right? because we're going to invest man hours, uh, Energy. resources energy to transport, energy to install, energy to manufacture, whatever it is, because we're making this huge initial investment in the building, it would be wasteful if that building lasts. So if that building years. lasts 100 years in lieu of 50 years, then we've kind of had That's the investment. One house less trees that have to be cut down, one house less that has to be trucked here, one house less that you have to have five guys stand there smoking five cigarettes an hour putting together sort of thing. So there's that kind of moral responsibility to, I think, put up a structure that is going to last a significantly long time, right? Um, I'm, I'm always using my phrase of if it don't last, it don't matter, right? It doesn't matter how energy efficient the house is if it rots away in five years because of water management issues. So we have to build the right house. So once I figure out where it's going to be and what are the priorities of the client, then I can work through the general moralities of the environment and say, okay, we can do this and that. But then that narrows down to the prioritizing, the the internal prioritizing of, okay, I need to make this durable. But as the architect, it has to be a durable structure, but the homeowners are going to concentrate on the aesthetics of that durability too, right? So I have to position myself where... We are picking the right materials to be durable, but we also are picking the right materials that fit the client's budget and perform the task that I needed to do from a building science perspective that will equally support their aesthetic expectations. Make sense? Yeah, it sounds like one of the most complicated questions to answer ever. Mm-hmm. That's why I signed up for That's it. That's why you make the big bucks. That's why I make the big bucks, because yeah. I strive for those challenges. So when when we think about the typical way that we prioritize for high performance, it's manage bulk water first, you know, manage air, whole four control layers. But I think what I hear you saying is, that's my job sort of behind the magic curtain, and I'm going to I'm going to start with design decisions that are tuned to the climate and to the site. Yeah. Yeah. And to the client's needs. And there are there are right. hard conversations along the way because at at some point I have to make a decision like a rain screen is the right system mm-hmm. for this cladding, right? 
And so I have to educate the homeowner sometimes on what a rain screen is, but then I have to work with a builder. Now, working with Jake, it's real easy because 99.9 of our concerns align with each other. But a lot of times I have a builder that, you know, and, and I have had them. Ah, oh, rain screen. I, yeah, I, I mean, I see some gonna people be way do that, but that's going to be really expensive <laughs> if you put that on the house. And, you know, there, there's just no need for that. Okay, so then how do I... Now that becomes even a harder hurdle with the client, but I have a builder that's not even willing to accept that. And so the first question is, now is it a conversation with me and the homeowner and is this the right builder for us? I was going to say, because if you have a builder who takes that approach and you insist upon a rain screen, what are the chances that rain screen is going to get done properly by somebody who doesn't think it's... Exactly. That's a so it becomes a, a, a huge challenge. And I think what we're finding out in this conversation is that prioritizing um, decisions, it, it's, it's beyond just saying, hey, this is the most important thing and this is the next important thing, because some of them have different responsibilities to different communities, client, environment, et cetera. But then some of these decisions also play a major role in building science consultant, builder, manufacturer, and the yeah, like. it becomes this pie chart right? where everything has to be there to fill the whole circle. But those little wedges get to be different. They sides, get to be different depending because on the even tune if of what we align with the right material and we go to the manufacturer, well, that's not available in your area. So I have a question for you two as pr- practitioners, because I'm, I don't, I don't build anything. I don't design anything. But in the last two design spec reviews I've been involved in, what's been interesting to me is that the client's expectations or level of understanding evolve. So because of you as an architect and a builder that are high performance, they may have come in with a certain set of expectations and understanding, but that over the, over the process of working with you, and on these two projects, the client's like, oh, I just learned that that's part of my expectations. Or So how often is there a sort of an evolutionary process? Every time. Yeah. Every time, but I think it's different, too. Huh. Because I have some clients that are, you know, damn near Ein- or feel like they're damn near Einstein and want to know everything about, well, what kind of nail? And what's the diameter of the nail you use for the sheathing, right? Because I read <laughs> this like last night. feels like you're poking night. fun at Dan Roy right now. No. Okay. No. I, he would never I, do I would that. would never put fun Dan do. Roy. But but then there's the there's some clients that just yeah, okay, that sounds good. Steve you know? built us a really good house. Yeah, you know, and I'm client. I'm happy with that. So so that that just falls there's there's different there. But but in, in client involvement in your work, I gotta ask, when you do building investigations, I bet you those clients are probably some of the most knowledgeable clients that any of us ever Even know. if it's from zero to most evolved, like they catch on the quickest because they're the they're having a problem. When you just when we talked about this topic and limiting it to new construction, what I what was left unsaid was it's a whole different ballgame with existing buildings because then you are going right into the shortcomings of that property. And it's a whole different approach because there is a problem. If, right. if I get called in on an existing project and nine times out of 10, it's somebody who has bought a home and thought they understood what the building's limitations are. And then the first big snowstorm and ice dams or the first big rain event comes along and they say, 
wow, I had no idea that the house was going to do this. And then I get involved and then it is, it, it's a total. And the builder says, well, I built it to code and the building inspector signed off on it. So everything's fine. That's how we always do it. But my involvement at the design spec level in a new project is completely different than what happens to how engaged I get with the home. I also don't understand like for your business and what you do, every client you deal with is probably pissed when you show up, not at you, but they're pissed when you show up because you have, they have a problem (laughs) and every builder you talk to is probably immediately starts with, well, this ain't my fault. Well, and also (laughs) like you, you want to know the people that really are angry at me or the realtors, because if I get involved during a sale and, and I, there are realtors in town that say, if you call that guy in, like I'm out of here because all he's going to do is devalue the property, you know, um, buyer's agent, yeah. <laughs> Let's get the buyer's yeah. agent over here to talk yeah. to you. So, but, so it is a, it's actually kind of neat to be involved in new construction design spec review because the, the objective is to keep those things from happening on the building, which right. sounds way easier. It sounds way, way easier. easier. Right. So, so there's a good priority for easier. making decisions. Right. So let's talk about way easier. So the, the first priority is obviously make the building last as long as we possibly can, right? Or build a, a highly durable building so that all the next decisions are somewhat consequential to that one major decision, right? So we make the building durable. So what's what's the number one killer of buildings, Jake? Water. Water. Agua. No Agua. way. No, it is, really. I, I read it somewhere, mm-hmm. magazine somewhere. Um, there's a book, Moisture in Buildings. Isn't there? Yeah, something like that. I think there's one out there. Thank you, Bill Rose. Um, thank you. Yes. Going to be in our favorite books coming up. There we go. Up to Pete's Book Club. Pete's Book Club. That's what we should call <laughs> Pete's Book Club. We'll talk about Pete's Book Club. Um, oh, but water. So, obviously... We want the building to last. Water is the number one killer of buildings. What should we care about? Well, we should care about, before we care about managing water, we should talk about the first thing, getting rid of water, right? Like, for me, it's always down and away. eliminate the problem before I have to solve, or as much of the problem, mm-hmm. so I only have to solve for the least amount. So what does that mean? Possibly big roofs, building it up on the hill, not in the valley, taking care of underground water management, pumping it away, getting rid of it, rain screen systems, the ability to dry, all of these things kind of get lumped into that water management prioritization. And And most of those, most of all these decisions that we're going to talk about come from a like, what's the least complicated way that we can handle this? Yes. Right? Yes. Yeah, we can add the eight dormers on the roof and swing the roof around four different ways and have this flat roof you know, come into this gabled roof, or we can simplify the roof somewhat strategically to still get a few dormers, a few nice aesthetics, but it's going to last and be far less challenged. Like I always say, put, put it in a position for success. So we solve for water management. We feel good about that. Now we have to move into the realm of, you know, comfort and health, right? We don't want we don't want our buildings to die. Well, we don't want our clients getting sick. Which those are just conversations about control. Those right? are conversations about control, ventilation, some stuff like that. And it's and it's I think part of it is we say conversation, but I think it's the kind of um, sub topic there is education. 
because some people might, again, the same with that builder, we might just sit there and say, oh, well, we need to put a ventilation system in. A builder says, ah, you don't need a ventilation system. And, I, and I'm not trying to dump this on bad builders, but I'm just saying. Houses need to breathe. Yeah, houses need to breathe, all of that stuff. But the idea that we need to build a really good house and in doing so, it needs to be healthy. Part of health is having some adequate mechanical ventilation that is filtered and we have to we have to circle back around real quick because I think we missed something about that conversation between client and architect. We're not having water conversations with clients. No, very few. I very mean, yeah, few. there might be site placements well, the, where we are going to have there gutters. Are aesthetic, yeah, decisions not, that are tied to water management. Correct. Like I suggest that this overhang needs to be twenty four inches. I think it'll look good. It'll provide a nice umbrella over the house. And oh, by the way, it helps solve for some of our water management issues. Same thing with air too. Right. How often do you have a conversation with uh, uh, clients about gutters or no gutters? Every project. And the part of the reason is, is because a lot of that ties into what does the edge condition of the eave look like? Mm-hmm. Is it plumb or yeah, is it, yeah. you know, crop style and, gutter and, sticking yeah, off the stuff, end of it. or is the gutters internal? So those are all that. But, but, but solving for the health because now, because health is definitely tied. If people start going in their house and they get sick because they slept in there last night, they're yeah, not going to be gonna happy. Work. So we need to solve yeah. for that decision. Comfort. That one's kind of a subtopic of health because people go into their house, they want to be comfortable. They don't want to walk in and have it be freezing when they walk over to that corner of the house. They don't want to be cooking when they sit in front of their, you know, sunny window um, trying to watch TV. So they, the, the comfort is is part of that. And so you're not having a conversation with them about how you're going to achieve continuity of the thermal and air control layers, but you are talking with them about how important it is that they're comfortable right. inside the building. But we might have a conversation about the pros of triple glazed windows versus double glazed windows. Yeah. Because the yeah. surface or the, or temperature the need for the radiation or the need for an ERV or the need to insulate the basement or maybe foam air seal or the perimeter. So your you have your conversation that I love where we talk about windows, envelope, HVAC, air sealing, all those things those as gears. one line item. And don't panic that we're spending more on the envelope. We're going to spend less on the HVAC. Don't panic that we're spending more on windows. You're going to be more comfortable, those sorts of things. Yeah, because I in, in Dan Roy's house, for example, we, we had like a $55,000 window package. If we could have went down to a double glaze window package to thirty five thousand, but our HVAC would have went from like twelve thousand dollars up to like thirty eight thousand dollars. So the client spends the same amount of money. We just put it in a different line item, so they get and in that instance we get better energy efficiency. We have lower bills overall. Long term, it's a better decision. Yeah, and I and I think what what this is all leading to because we need to. You start wrapping this up is that energy efficiency is probably the last thing to talk about on my list. And it's, it's actually a really short conversation with the client. It's like, Hey, Oh, by the way, all these decisions that we made, they're going to really help you out on the heating and cooling side and the energy efficiency of the structure. We're going to, we're going to be there. I think you're going to be really happy at the end of the day. Not only are you living in this house that works really well, but the fact that uh, 
it's not costing you more to operate. It's going to be half the price of the crappy house you live in now to operate. On my house personally, I doubled the size of my house with the addition and I kept my energy bill the same. Mm. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's the best point to how to deal with clients. It's an actual real world story. It's not statistics and charts and things like that. It's a story that you connect with. I tell people like, our offices are attached to my house, so my house is way bigger than what it would be if they weren't. Our house is 4,300 square feet. Two months ago, my electric bill was $142. The whole house is all electric. It's combustion-free. That's hot water, cooking, HVAC. It was summer. It was hot. There are five people that were living here, pets, dog, everything. 4,300 square feet, 11 cents a kilowatt hour, and we were $142 or $143. You'd say that to anybody that already lives in a 4,000 square foot house and they're going to go crap. They're spending $500, $600 Yeah, they're going to go crap. And the the crazy thing is, is if you looked across the street, there's probably an 1,800 square foot Mm -hmm. ranch that that pays double your 143. Yeah. And well, that's the other thing I say. When we moved to this house from a 60s ranch that was half the size, our electric bill went down. But the biggest point, I think, that we haven't talked about with that is there the price got halved your comfort in this house is far more outstanding than anything you've ever lived in yep and i'm not saying that because i designed this um i think it's just and when we talk about comfort you know there's a engineer uh uh his name is robert bean who says comfort is thermal acoustic um He's got one for each Lights. sensor, uh, light comfort. Um, he even includes olfactory comfort, um, which certainly is related to the Steve. <laughs> but, but the idea is that this house with triple pane windows, one of the things I noticed is there's no, there's never any street noise. So you unless can't the window hear a car open. go by. You don't hear anything. Yeah. So, and that's a, to me, that's a really big deal. Um, the environmental separation includes sound as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what I what I found honestly, one of the biggest things, which is it, it came to a surprise to me, the first couple people that said it, but I have a, a whole bunch of clients that say I've never slept anywhere better mm-hmm. than in the house that I live in. I feel that is, way about the house I built for myself. Yeah, I didn't just, realize I had quit dreaming at our last house. Mm-hmm. My sleep. Much so this is your dream house. Yeah, there you go. But in, I don't even know how we. Even, carry on anymore after that because that well. was damn near perfect so send us out so that's that's our uh, prioritizing decisions in a nutshell I'm sure we can probably take any one of these topics dive in a lot deeper take it to a to a whole new level but hey for today I think we did a good job I thank you Jake I thank you Peter for good joining thing, us and uh we're going to call it quits there. Thank you for joining us on the Unbuilded Podcast. Hey, while you're there on YouTube, do not forget to go check out a whole bunch of these side videos that we're putting up in support of our podcast. We got all of us are out at different job sites and we're throwing up some videos where we talk about the things we see and do every day. So go check that information out. And uh, until next time, thank you. Thanks. Thanks.